Uh, right. So um, I have been like a libertarian-ish, not even ish. Like I, I've been a libertarian, uh, well, at least since Ron Paul. And, and even, you know, even when certain people like uh, Michael, Michael Malice and Thad Russell like rejected that, that title or identity or whatever, um, I never understood why. And at this point, I think I kind of do. Maybe we're going to talk about this libertarian world, this, you know, what people refer to as the liberty movement. It's so ephemeral. For better or worse, it is frankly the one thing that everybody appeals. It is the word that everybody appeals to and everybody denigrates and many times in the same conversation. So a lot of people today, I think maybe even most people today, especially if you're looking on a global level or at that mythic level, this wokeness narrative are introducing a new religious system. Um, it's very important that we as non-woke people or as awakened people, it's very important that we have something to combat that. show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. A good conversation, to me at least, is like jazz. To be a good jazz musician, you have to know the basics, even, even if you can't put them into words quite yet, if you don't know the theory. You have to know what the fundamentals are. And then you play off the other people that you're riffing with. Improvisation is, is a key tenet of what jazz is. And so when I do these conversations, that's what I'm looking for. You're about to hear my conversation with James Gentleman of the Blackbird Podcast. Uh, it was great. It was fun. You know, we kind of, if you, uh, you want to think about it this way, I'd say the first, uh, the first 30 minutes are us kind of getting in tune with each other. And then we really open it up in the last half of the show. Um, the conversation went somewhere really, really cool. And, well, you know, for better or worse, this is why Joe Rogan will do a three-hour podcast. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time before you really start to understand somebody enough to actually have the conversation that you've always wanted to have. I really look forward to continuing our talks um, of course, I thank him for coming on the show. It was it was an absolute blast. And I think we give a lot of people some food for thought, both as, both as it relates to libertarianism and then really more important, deeper contexts, co- constructs and, and, and ideas, ideas like faith, God, religion. What, what's more important to talk about at any point in history? There's a lot we can do in the practical and the political, of course, but as human beings, isn't that why we're doing what we're doing? Is for those deeper reasons? That's why I have this show. And so I thank you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe at beenawake.com. Beenawake.com slash donate if you'd like to uh, support the mission. Let's get into it. Warning, the following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include 
skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Recording. All right. So, so James, out of um, I, I like to say a little bit out of laziness, but also because philosophically, I'm actually really interested in this question. I love to start the show by asking the guests, how do you self-identify and or, or what schools of thought do you belong to? Sure. Uh, right. So um, I have been like a libertarian-ish, not even ish, like I, I've been a libertarian, uh, well, at least since Ron Paul, but uh, my, my journey to Ron Paul was really weird because I came to it through um, like traditionalist Catholicism. And uh, so there's a, I, I, like, I would no longer call myself a Catholic, although we can probably get into faith a little bit. I'm, uh, that would be fun. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've been, so I'm, I'm a little bit intellectually lazy. Like I don't do a whole lot of reading. Um, I do a lot of thinking and I do, well, that's not true. I do a lot of reading. I don't do a lot of like reading of primary sources though. Um, so anyway, I, I guess I would call myself broadly speaking libertarian if I'm talking to, if I'm talking to libertarians or if I'm talking to leftists who most of my friends are on the left, more or less, uh, I would call myself an anarchist. Um, I very rarely use ANCAP because I think capitalism is a loaded word at this point. Um, I would call myself a market anarchist. Uh, and so my podcast, which is now called Blackbird, um, originally was called Urban Agorist. And I've not abandoned the title agorist, but nobody knows what that means. So, um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, I don't, I don't really use it. Um, I think agorism is tactically the best like form of libertarianism, I guess. And I know mm -hmm. that you had an episode with Jose Galison who uh, we've kind of gone on this journey together. Um, okay. Actually. Yeah. We like, we've done a whole bunch of shows together and stuff too. Um, mm -hmm. We've both been on each other's podcasts several times. And I think we're going to be starting a weekly um, kind of ongoing thing. Cause nice. we have pretty good chemistry, but uh, yeah. So audience go back and listen to the interview with jose and uh i'm pretty close to him <laughs> yeah and we and with my interview with jose we did focus a little bit more on like the agorist yeah. uh, on agorism as a school of thought so if you're interested in that you can check it out and i put some hyperlinks in there as well uh so what i always so as you know out, out, out of respect and i guess maybe my audience has heard this a little bit too much but i don't sure. care um you know i call myself a philosophical skeptic with libertarian politics yeah. Uh, and so we're, and you know, as far as the format of the show, like I said, like we were saying before we started recording, it's very open. So feel free to ask any questions back. It doesn't have to be a one-sided thing. Um, but of course, you know, I did have, <clears throat> I think, uh, and, and there are, you know, there are reasons for everything that I say. And I, um, I've been having a lot of fun. I really do enjoy your show. And before we get into, I love that you said libertarian ish. So I want to talk about that, but before I'd like for you to talk a little bit about uh, so this is, is this your first venture or is this like your second iteration of the same show? How did that work where you kind of did the transition? Cause I've done the same thing. This is my second, this is kind of, yeah. I took like three or four years off. This is my second time around. My internet connection's unstable. One, yeah. One of us is cutting out. I know that <laughs> mine was, and then, uh, okay. Well, okay. I think, I think you're back now. So, all right, cool. Um, yeah. So no, it was, it was like a one week break. I, uh, I was urban agorist. Um, 
the main reason I, <laughs> so I changed for two, for two reasons. Reason one, um, I, I didn't know how long I was going to be calling myself an agorist. I didn't know how long I was going to be living in the city. Mm. Um, right now, both of those things are still in place, mm-hmm. um, but it, it might not be permanent. Um, number two, everybody kept calling me James the Urban Agorist. And I, I don't want to live up to that title. Okay. Uh, right. Cause I don't like, I don't really engage in gray market. Like I, I do a lot of crypto trading and I report it all to the IRS. Like right. okay. <laughs> I'm yeah, a yeah. really bad agorist. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I changed it to Blackbird because um, well, I wanted to change it to um, the title of a Dave Matthews song. Okay. Uh, and God, for the life of me, I can't even remember the name of that song. Uh, <clears throat> but basically it's kind of about self-discovery and mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing uh, that Oh, seek up. That's the name of it. Okay. Um, and uh, there were no domains available. Um, so I just, I was like, well, that's not going to work. So um, I, I was at my partner's mom's or his parents' house. And uh, I think this was on new year's Eve. And his mom started talking about the Beatles and the song Blackbird. And I was like, oh my God, Blackbird, that's my favorite Beatles song. And mm-hmm. it's totally about like uh about like personal empowerment and stuff like right. that. So absolutely. So uh I was like, that's that's it. That's the name of the podcast. So my partner and I talked about it on the way home from the from his parents' house. And yep. um it was settled. I bought the domain blackbirdpodcast.com the next day. Nice. Uh signed up for Substack, and that was that. So, um, and Substack is great, uh, by the way, if, um, mm-hmm. if you or anybody else is looking for free pot, like free unlimited podcast hosting it's been in awesome. addition to all the, all the writing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's, that's where, that's, that's how I landed on Blackbird. I don't remember what you asked me. Oh, the transition. So yeah, it yeah. was like a, it was like a day thing. I, I think I took a week off of posting interviews and that was more just a laziness thing than a, right. than a. <laughs> planned thing um of i'm pretty course. i'm pretty sporadic when it comes to that i've mm-hmm. i don't know if you've noticed this or not um but uh f- for me like the talking the interview part is really easy and yeah. then getting the audio like edited and re- recording an intro and all that stuff um mm-hmm. you do you do a little more heavy editing at the beginning than i do too like you you do like a little clip inter- of the interview yeah, and stuff for like interviews that. yeah i can't i can't i don't even know how to do that so mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so i had been i mean just from like i i've been writing consistently and producing this show for six months now which is pretty cool to say um some doing something like this has always been an interest of mine and you know i've always loved philosophy exploring ideas uh it kind of um and it and it relates to the title and yeah you know it's it's the whole it's the same kind of a thing so the basic the basic premise is my my domain my space my show is an answer to the inevitable question from the woke which is why aren't you one of us? And so it's because I'm not woke. I've been awake because um, I, I think these broadly speaking libertarian, these liberal, like true liberal West ideas are have so much have so much fruit that still hasn't been uh, sorry for the mixed metaphor mind out of the ground. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, there's so there's there's so many there's so many precious stones still in the vein. And and most people have basically just said, oh, OK, well, let's just let's just go and pan in the pan in the ocean and we're going to take fool's gold for 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 something uh, what it is. So, yeah, I did that. I mean, I try to do a little bit more for the interviews because a lot of times people, you know, feedback is always like, "Oh, well, how do I do an hour or how do I do an hour and a half show?" 
And that's where I oh, like geez. doing the, th- you know, how do I like that? That's why I like doing the thing at the beginning. I like putting chapters to it so that people can kind of see, um, see what it is. I'm also single which is a very important thing as well. You know, I have no kids. I have no, I have no wife. I have no girlfriend, nothing like that. And it's, uh, you know, so that makes it a lot easier to kind of just do what I want mm-hmm. and, um, and kind of spend a lot of time doing it. But I kind of, I, I came through it through writing because writing was like something important. And so, I mean, basically for six months or really, I guess five months, I've been doing four articles a week and then the show and I just do the, so, the show solo every single week. And it's just going through those articles. And maybe I'll throw in a current event topic. And now, I'm, now I want to start reaching out and doing more interviews because I, interviews are, like, like you said, they're super easy because it's just hanging out with somebody, especially when there's somebody who does a show on their own and they kind of understand what it is to keep a tempo and keep a rhythm. And frankly, you know, as fun as it is to talk into a microphone by yourself for an hour, it's, I, you know, I think part of philosophy or good philosophy is the back and forth. There is, there is, mm-hmm. um, as a skeptic, I kind of have set aside the idea of truth per se. Um, but that, but so instead what I talk about, and this has been, you know, I've, I've done music in the past. I've done artwork. Um, I stared at a piece of art, a conceptual piece that I made in a class once upon a time, uh, whenever I record and, it's um, it, like, and so instead what I've talked a lot about is the idea of expression and understanding and what maybe many, and, and I talk about like, what is, and maybe that's what truth is. I don't know. That's kind of the point is most people who claim to have the truth or say the truth are, well, they could be right, but they could be wrong because there's somebody who disagrees with them. And so maybe if we just kind of work between that idea of expression and understanding, we can come to something and that's, so that's kind of, so that's why I like doing, um, that's why I like doing the interviews, but let's talk about being libertarian ish. Cause you know, you talked about not wanting to um, not wanting to be held up to a title of, you know, in your particular case, the urban agorist. And I think all of us in this, all of us who understand the importance of individualism have had this uh, have had like this effect on us at different points in times. It's like, okay, well, I, I want to, I want my thing to be so niche that that way nobody else can ever have anything or, or whatever. And we all, it, it's interesting how like in general, it's like we have this affinity with the word libertarian, but at the and that's the easiest way to understand it for a broader population. And yet at the same time, most libertarians and especially most people who are like good libertarians, as it were, have an issue with that word. So I, 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 am I speaking to you at all here? Do you under, like, what is that? I don't know, man. So I had no problem with the word libertarian for mm-hmm. years. Like, and, and even, you know, even when certain people like uh, Michael, Michael Malice and Thad Russell, like rejected that, that title or identity mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I never understood why. And at this point, I think I kind of do, at least for me, um, the word libertarian is kind of losing its meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, when you've got like, I don't want to, I don't want to name names, but I mean, just watch any, any episode with Dave Smith debating somebody on mm-hmm. Mark Claire's podcast. Sure. I mean, when you've got all three of those guys all claiming the title libertarian, which Mark Claire to his credit does not, or is kind of getting away from the, from the word libertarian, but, uh, mm they that those those schools of thought are so different from one another yeah 
I mean, they're similar. They're similar in the sense that they're like anti-authoritarian, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that that's. I don't know if that's all there is now. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, and is it enough, right? Milton Friedman yeah. would would always say, you know, that free markets are a necessary are necessary but not sufficient. Um, and I think it's that sufficient thing that if we're going to talk about this libertarian world, this, you know, what people refer to as the liberty movement, it's so ephemeral in that sense that it really is, it is difficult to pin down. And so when you start to see people rising up and okay, okay, well, I'm not liberal or conservative. And so what am I, right? I'm fiscally liberal and fiscally and, conservative and socially and, liberal. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've decided I've kind of taken the I've I've because I've I've thought exactly that of like, okay, well, if these people who I can't stand are claiming the same label as me, then maybe my maybe it's maybe the problem is my label. And of course, I would I would think you would understand as well that our school of thought is much deeper than the libertarian word and and goes back farther. Right. It's the it, mm-hmm. you know, if we look at like Ludwig von Mises, what is his biography called? The Last Night of Liberalism. So it was really a tactical or pragmatic decision to adopt the word to begin with. And for better or worse, it is frankly the one thing that everybody appeal. It is the word that everybody appeals to and everybody denigrates and many times in the same conversation. I mean, Ben, Ben Shapiro will talk about how he's libertarian on most issues, yeah. but at the same time, we'll say that libertarianism has nothing to offer. So it's this, and, and now I'm starting to, because I've decided to join the takeover um, in my state of Illinois, because uh, if for no other reason than I'm frankly pretty good at parliamentary procedure, so I can, I, I have this. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, I, it's 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 this skill. <laughs> Better I you know. than me. <laughs> it's you know that that's kind of what it is. It's I, I have this thing, and I'm like, well, okay, if I care about this word, and I care about the ideas behind the word, uh, I want to make sure that that word is associated with the right things. And there's something to be, there's, there's a perfectly logical argument, which says, well, just do what you do what you want. And that's where I say, okay, I could just be a skeptic and I could just do a show strictly about philosophy. And that is what I prefer to do mm-hmm. is like teach different, like different ideas about philosophy, a little bit of current events. And I try to mix it all together into something entertaining, but there is that, there is this concept creep that seems to be happening with the word. And I think because if for no other reason, then at the end of the day, we do run into the political system, despite what we, despite what we would prefer yeah. about the society we live in. That's the only thing, and it is a pragmatic argument, so I'm not going to pretend it's, it's absolutely moral. Um, but you know, there is that pragmatic argument to say, well, can we see if, if it can be done? And then there's even people that are saying, well, we should allow socialists in the party. And I just don't, I can only understand that from a weird arcane historical argument. I don't understand how it makes tactical sense in the mod in, in modern politics and in, in modern politics, but it's, um, was it, so how long, so when, when did you like, you said Ron Paul, but a little bit before, so would that be like 2004? So, um, what I graduated high school in 2001, I took a government class my senior year. So either 2000 or 2001, I took a, I took the world's smallest political quiz and Mm -hmm. came up libertarian on that. So I've kind of always been libertarian. And then when I came out as gay, like my whole family's Republican. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Hey, why don't you guys look into libertarianism? You know, I mean that, uh, that they they like the gays and they're still conservative you know like i just right. i didn't know but mm-hmm. uh um so 
I guess I've always kind of had one foot in libertarianism and I, I got, I kind of, my very first like political issue that I ever engaged with uh, was the Iraq war um, mm-hmm. following nine 11, obviously. And um, I was very anti-war. Uh, I actually, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was following Matt Welch's work from he's at reason now, but okay. he was, yeah, he, was yeah. at a, he was at a, a leftist publication back then called working for change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my favorite, you know, proto blog. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess I would have, today I I would have been a left libertarian. Um, Mm. I wasn't, I wasn't super woke, but wokeness wasn't really a thing, you know, like, right, right, right. I I wasn't a feminist. I, I, I actually remained pro-life or anti-abortion, however you want to, however you want to term it. Mm -hmm. Um, even when I was on the left. Um, so, uh, I, I've always, I guess I've always been a little, a little weird. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think, I think a little weird. I think a little weird says it says it right there, right? Because, uh, okay, so the American political system tends to put you into two camps because it's a winner take all system, not mm-hmm. a proportional. Okay, great. I think there. I, so, and I'll try this. I'll I'll try this idea out. You tell me what you think because this is something that I, I haven't quite written this out yet in full, but it is one of the things that I kind of operate under. It's like it's one of like my animating ideas right now that I operate with, and it's idea that I've been trying to develop over a number of years. And it's the reason why the show starts with the question, how do you self-identify? Because I think for the first time in human history, really, if you want to put it that way, um, we can actually choose who we are in a real in, in a realer sense than that's than, than has ever been the case. Uh, just both if for no, if starting with how rich we are as a society, um, and then, you know, adding all the other layers on top of living in a very open, you know, open and despite what some people might argue, generally free, uh, generally free society as well. And I think this has always like interested me and it's always been a question of mine. And I've come to this, I've had the same exact thought that we're kind of circling around right now, which is, okay, why is it that I have this set of ideas, right? So you said, okay, I would maybe have been considered as being part of the left, but I was against abortion. And that is generally speaking, considered to be a right position or a conservative position. Why is it that, you know, to put it another way, if you grow up in a Republican household, that everybody will talk crap about the Democrats. And if you grow up in a Democratic household, everyone's going to talk crap about the Republicans. Why is it that, you know, as Jonathan Haidt would put it, why is it that good people uh, why is it that good people argue and good people disagree? And this has led me to basically constructing this idea. And um, I think at some, at, in, some re- in some really weird real way, and this is where the skepticism comes into play, sorry to the objectivists listening, but I think identity itself is a paradox. And I think that, um, and I think that paradox is not entirely responsible, but at least informs a lot of the things that we see in society and how they play out. And I can go into more detail, but what do you, how, what, how, how does that strike you? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with the paradox. I think it's more of a, like, symbiosis isn't the right word. Um, synergy maybe the the so i've been really dabbling um in what's called integral theory it's sort of sort of post postmodernism 
Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, as anybody who's ever talked to me knows, talked to me for longer than 10 minutes or so knows, I've been a follower and fan and employee of Thaddeus Russell uh, for a long time. And um, I've been taken with his like very, very radical skepticism and very, very radical subjectivism. Um, and then I was exposed to, introduced to um, integral theory, which in integral, one of the key kind of tenets is <clears throat> that truth and reality exists on sort of a Cartesian plane um, where you have these four quadrants and um, the quadrants are made up of collective and individual Mm -hmm. and um, subjective and objective or like uh, internal and external. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the only real way to perceive identity, to perceive reality, to perceive um, morality, Mm -hmm. uh, all of this stuff. And, and so to me, integral rings truest Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to any sort of question as to, um, an individual's perception of what objectivists might call reality. Yeah. I, well, and I, I mean, so I'm profoundly influenced by Nietzsche. I really do like Thad's work as well. And I'm using, I will prefer to call him Thaddeus, but really Dr. Russell, but I know he hates that. So he I won't. Um, I, so I, I actually, I've written exactly about this because, you know, of course we have the, it, it, there's an allegory here to the political realm. Whereas most people just think tend to think that p- p- uh, politics operates on left and right, but then if you expand it into the Cartesian plane, then you can operate under like authoritarian and libertarianism, right? Sure. Yeah. Or that you know that's what the political compass talks about. And so I would I would actually agree. And I guess bearing down on the idea a little bit more, it has where I see the paradox, and I'm not, and maybe it is resolvable. Um, I just haven't figured it out yet. But uh, is that is is just that thing where no matter what I might think of the word you know, in this case, we're, we're circling around the word libertarian. Yes. Um, no matter what I might think about the word libertarian, somebody else can ascribe the worst of intentions to what libertarian is libertarianism is, or completely different ideas to what libertarianism is. And obviously this is part of the subjective nature of reality because reality is mediated through the individual. And that's kind of more the idea that I'm driving at, because I think I'll have to look up more of the integral theory per se. But I I completely agree with the idea that, you know, in that we will try to map identity, a Cartesian plane makes far more sense than a number line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it well, and it makes more sense than um, coming from the other end of whatever spectrum we're on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes more sense than either like speaking of gender for instance which is the 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 most sort of hot button identity issue sure let's do it right now um you know on one on one end you have a penis and therefore you're a male Mm -hmm. Uh, on the other end i identify as a female and it doesn't matter what the fuck's in my pants Mm -hmm. like those two things are like it can they can coexist like it's it's perfectly fine like for a doctor to say you know um, chromosomally and genetically, you are you, like, you need to, you need to watch out for, for these things. Like you don't have a prostate, so you don't mm-hmm. need to worry about prostate cancer. Um, you probably should be, uh, worried about missing a period though, because that could mean that you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter <laughs> how you identify. 
but mm. on the other hand, uh, the, the person's therapist um, might have something different to say about their gender because the therapist is worried more about their self-identity than about their biology. And eventually we're going to need to um, come to some, come to grips with that. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the person is objectively male mm -hmm. um, in almost every aspect of their life or of society's life, in my right. opinion. Right. Well, isn't that also, I mean, you know, if I, if, if we wanted to, and I, I like language, I like using language in particular ways, mm -hmm. but isn't that the, isn't that in fact, in somewhat in that we're talking about gender and sex, isn't that the difference between being male and female and being and masculinity and femininity or be, or being male, but identifying as a woman? Sure. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I, I have no real issues. I, I think the, I think the biggest issue I see right now is how young I, I really just do the, the young, the young way in which I, yeah. I feel like it's very confusing and moreover the, the social currency that exists around it. That uh, that's and, and within certain circles, right? Obviously, not everywhere is this happening, but within certain circles, it's it's becoming an issue. And I'm um I'm actually listening to Deborah So's book right now on audio tape, and she talks she she talks a little bit about how, you know, that in that it's been studied, dysphoria tends to resolve itself after puberty. So wouldn't it? So but for but at the same time, we're having this pleasant conversation when it's actually being pushed on doctors that you can't you can't assert the biological reality so to speak yeah i mean if there if 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 it's if that is being pushed on doctors then mm -hmm. then i would say that that's wrong um i don't know i like deborah so is a polemicist she's not i mean obviously she's a scientist and she's an eminent scientist at that but mm -hmm. um she didn't write that book for an academic audience she she wrote that book to sell books uh hmm. so i would i would encourage her readers and audience to take what she says with a grain of salt. Um, you know, uh, but that said, uh, who am I to, who am I to argue with a, with a sci scientist? I don't, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, but, but then again, I argue with Anthony Fauci every day. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Who are we? But, you know, at some point, I think that is but that is, you know, going going back to the idea, that's kind of where I come upon, again, the paradox. Right. So how, I do think that you can be born a man and still have still believe and act and live as if you are a woman. I don't I, I obviously because it happens every single day. Right. And it's happened throughout different cultures and throughout history and in different in different instances. And we could get into like the specifics of that. But how would that then correlate to integral theory, unless you had another thought on your mind? Um, well, one one thing that just kind of popped into my yeah. mind is uh, dysphoria is like that's a that's a mental health issue. Sure. But I would say that it's possibly and, I, you know, I'm not a psychologist either, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but it, possibly it's only an issue because psychologists have always said that it's an issue. The, the observer. Um, yeah. The observer problem. Right. So um, I, I try not to, I try not to moralize on things like that. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, 
as <laughs> I, hate, I hate saying this, uh, but you know, as a member of the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, I came out in 2001. It, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same coming out back then as gay as it is today. Absolutely. Now, now it's like, you know, so what? Like you're, you're, you're still, you're still a white man. Like, right. <laughs> so you're right. Uh, no, of course. And well, and, and so, and you said, you said you came to, you said you came to a lot of these ideas from a traditional Catholic background. So, I mean, it, that must've been its own set. I mean, I was raised Catholic as well. So I kind of can understand what that would have been like, even within, even with that extra level on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you said the Jesuits, so I'm assuming you went to Catholic school as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I can, un- 2001 was a lot different than 2020 and 2021, certainly. Yeah. I do wonder what, I do wonder what the culture at my high school is like now. I mean, they were pretty progressive back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, nobody came out. It, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, in my graduating class of 227 or whatever it was, it was a pretty small class for yeah. a, a big high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think, I think like 12 of us came out in college. Like, I mean, it was a pretty good, pretty good sized chunk of, Interesting. of guys that, that all came out, uh, which is funny because, you know, in, in Dallas where I grew up, the, uh, the rumor or like the stereotype of people who went to my high school is that they were all gay. Like we, we were like super macho. Were you guys all uh, boys as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went to an all boys high school um, is Benedictine, not Jesuit. And I was and of uh, and I graduated a little bit after you. I graduated in 2010. Um, so my recollection, and I, I, I you know, I have I, we only had a class of 114 was my gra- if, if memory serves. So it was a, so it was a little bit smaller even. Mm-hmm. And there were a few guys um, in different grades that, like, I guess you would say, experimented with their with you know with with being gay or like. Or, you know, there, I remember one particular dance, there were two guys that made out on the dance floor. And of course, and, you know, in a Catholic school, but that and grinding oh, wow. was like the big thing. Right. But it was never, it was in my mind. It was never a thing. It was never really a, a worrisome. And I think in my class, there was only a couple of guys. Now the contra, the contra positive to that is my entire life. People have, I, I was mocked mercilessly for being gay, even though I, I happen to not be. So it's, it's always been an interesting thing because I, I was very into theater and music and dancing and things and still am to this day. But so I always had this um, individuality streak that now I kind of look back and I, I remember freshman year, this one guy would call me a flamer every single day in class. And I didn't know that a flamer was a disparaging term for, for being gay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, dude, cool. I'm a flamer. I don't, I don't understand what's going on right now. And, and so, and I'm not claiming any ownership over, over the differences of experiences. I'm only, I'm just, I always reflect on that fact that it's God, basically until I was like a fully fledged adult, that was always something that people would like mock me for or question or ask about. And I think about today's world and I wonder if I, that's maybe why I use the term dysphoria and not saying it's the right one. Confusion would be the confusion might be a better one. If we're all searching for self-identity, I always kind of wonder what um, how things might have been different today in that in that in that same kind of environment where it was like, oh, well, if you're slightly different, I had I played with dolls as a kid, you know, like I had my 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 parents were to their credit, never super obsessed with like, quote unquote, gender typical toys, Mm. I suppose. And um, I never considered that abnormal. I guess everyone around me did, but I know, you know, and it's never, it, it, I think it, I think I'm a more integrated person today because of it. I don't know. Yeah, that, sure. Uh, do you, of, do you know your Myers-Briggs type off the top of your ENFJ head? ENFJ or ENFP? 
depending okay. on how I'm, yeah. and I'm tend to be like right in the middle for in, introversion and extroversion. Um, yeah. You're why, why do you ask? Welcome. Welcome to the club. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> why, why do I ask? I guess I asked because I wanted to, I assumed you were an N I wanted to know if you were an F or a T mm. um, almost every libertarian is an NT in the middle. Okay. Um, so you will be as uh, especially in the Mises caucus where you're, you're kind of um, dipping your toe. Although like you, uh, I'm a fellow traveler of the Mises caucus. I'm not a member. Okay. Um, uh, like you, I'm not much of a joiner. Um, I think you've mm -hmm. said that in previous episodes. Yeah, I did decide to join, but that's with the okay. intention to take things over. So cool. I don't really, <laughs> I, I guess I don't really know the difference between joining and just being a fellow traveler. I, yeah, like I, I, I donate 50 bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah. 50 I donate bucks to the LP. I donate a bunch. I, I am a member of the LP and I'm in the Mises caucus Facebook group. Okay. Um, so I guess for all intents and purposes, I'm a member of the Mises caucus, <laughs> but like, um, I'm, I'm like, I'm anti-dogma and yep. anti-authority. I'm anti-authority and the Mises caucus and rightfully or wrongfully are pretty hierarchical and mm -hmm. author a not authoritarian, but uh, you know, they've got rules and yeah. they've got, they've got a structure and they've got leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, uh, I don't know much of a follower when it comes to stuff like that. Although I guess I, uh, you know, I mean, I went from, full-on agorist who's never going to vote again to uh lp member but because but but because you're before that you're not dogmatic by nature yeah. so yeah. to speak so i like so i wrote uh, one of the things i wrote and it's a little thing i like to deploy every now and then which is i like to say the last thing that i am is a libertarian because mm -hmm. i think there's so much and it's and it's a it's a broader point that you know we're getting we're getting a little granular on libertarianism but it is a broader point because we tend to think of political persuasion and we tend to think of, you know, political parties in general as this like necessary thing. And people just tend to think that that's where it comes from when no, it's because, okay, you know, I was born during this time. I lived in this part of the country. I went to this kind of a school. I was raised in this kind of a family. I had this, you know, I had this kind of a mom and this kind of a dad. And, you know, this happened to me at one point in time. And my and then at some point, we just turn that all into politics, in, in a sense. And then we just kind of pretend that none of that ever happened. And so for whatever else I might be doing in, in this stuff, it is, for me, the, the last thing I am is a libertarian. I am so many more things. And, and everybody, the last thing they are is some p particular political identity. And you hope. Those you would hope, right? Well, okay. So for anyone who's actually um, aware, we're not talking about the ballast. Right. We're not talking okay, about sure, the herd yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there, we're not talking about people who will give themselves to an idea, an ideology or to a person um, of whatever constitutes their free will. Um, like I said, I'm a Nietzsche guy. So, <laughs> um, so, so I, I think that's, I think that's an important thing because there is this, um, there's this tendency towards dogmatism, I think, in human nature, right? And the way, if I'm going to construct a narrative around it, what skepticism does is basically say, hey, there are actually at least two ways of doing something and doing something particularly well. If we go, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in the Western tradition. And of course, that, that tends to start philosophically with Socrates, um, and, you know, Socrates came about in this particular period in Greece, and he kind of went around and asked questions. But the term skepticism 
or like academic skepticism, which is I kind of talk about it as inquiry before uh, inquiry before dogma is my new is my new way of putting it. Like but that. it was it was um, it was it arose in a time. And this is what this I love talking about this because I, I think it it's a good reminder that there's always been questions. It's just the nature of the question that's different. It was during like the Hellenistic age, or at least this is how I read about it. In, in philosophy class. And, you know, basically the big debate between the Hellenistic age is who's right, the Stoics or the empiricists, right? The, 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 to be very simple, the Stoics believed in like the idea of providence and all you have control over is your judgment over things and the, and the, uh, or, sorry, the empiricists, the Epicureans, my apologies. And the Epicureans had, you know, was about maximizing pleasure because the, the material, basically a materialist worldview that this is all, this is all that there is. And we still have, we have, we see that if you actually look at history and the history of thought, Forget, forget, you know, particular nations and all that stuff, because that makes it that makes my case even more so. There's even within every single society, there's always been at least two ideas that are trying to curry favor. This is similar to and if only if only for the fact that you can't escape Hegel, this is similar to Hegel's you know, idea of the dialectic. But mm -hmm. I'm trying to draw the point that. It's always been the rationalists and the empiricists. It's always there's always been the Marxists and the liberals and the progressives and the and the um, uh, well, you know, the liberals, uh, basically speaking. Um, there there's always the the monarchists and the Democrats. There's always been these tensions that exist throughout history. And where I found a home in skepticism is to point this out and to say, hey, OK, so now that we know that you might actually have at least two ways of doing things that really opens up the world in a very real way because it's always in that like, okay, what's the combination? What's the combination they're in that can actually create the new thing? And that's, that's I, it, a few more chains down the logic is where I consider, you know, liberty to be one of the best political principles as a result, because we may as well have the space to do it. And that is what, to get into another concept, we can talk about the market provides. Yeah. So yeah, get into that. Does the market provide? Well, I guess, well, so we, you know, let's, we have to determine what the market is. If the market is yeah. people individually cooperating, I would say, absolutely. It's just a question of to what extent and, you know, there are other, and then there's, there's a time element that I think, you know, most people wouldn't, why, why, where would you disagree? Um, I don't know if I would disagree or not. I haven't really thought about it. Uh, so I think, I think that I don't know would 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 anti-market people would that would that be a an apt descriptor of like I don't know I I, I guess I guess I would say that they have a point um, that you will always have people who are better equipped to seize power and to take advantage of the less powerful. I don't think that that's something that we can escape. I think that that's something mm -hmm. that is part and parcel with humanity. Yeah. Um, I actually just wrote about this for the, um, I, I did a, I wrote probably, no, I don't think I wrote too many words. There were like 1600 words about that interview with Oprah and that, you know, those, those billionaires, those millionaires who used to be billionaires talk to that other billionaire. <laughs> and, you know, now they're not living with the billionaires in the UK. They're just living with the billionaires and millionaires yeah. in the U S. So I, I wrote that in there. There, it, I do think, um, there are two ideas that I haven't been able to escape when I've thought about, you know, an, like a quote unquote anti-state mentality, let's say, you know, being against government or anti-government. And then there's always the words of Nietzsche ringing in my head that the exception is always better provided it doesn't become the rule. 
Um, but it's the, it's the necessity of a leader and the veneration of the warrior and like, mm-hmm. and trying to put those in like deep terms. So I think, I, I do think you're right, but, but please continue. Well, that gets into, um, that gets back into integral a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in addition to these quadrants, so you've got the quadrants are once again, um, on the vertical axis, you've got individual to group. That's like the spectrum. And then on the horizontal axis, it's interior to exterior or um, subjective to objective. Um, in addition to the quadrants, you've also got levels. And the levels um, are sort of like the predominant worldview um, at any given time. Um, each one is like an era in human history. Okay. Um, you start out in like the archaic uh, where the the people are essentially hunter gatherers and the, you know, might makes right is sort of the moral. Uh, th- that's like the end of morality mm-hmm. um, from archaic, you get into magic and um, that's where the like m- magical mystical things happen. But the, the, the magician is the person who caused it from that. You get into mystic or uh, sorry, mythic or mythical mm-hmm. um, where the god is the um the the entity that that does the magical thing from there and this is where this is where so a lot of people today i think maybe even most people today especially if you're looking on a global level are at Mm -hmm. that mythic level they're religious and um they're fundamentalist and even a lot of like the woke people are at that level where you know science is god now like Mm -hmm. it doesn't they they still they still ascribe to science or anthony fauci or whatever that which a religious fundamentalist would ascribe to god or um you know whatever their whatever their their mythical being is the enlightenment said well as long as we remove ourselves from instinct right (laughs) or as long as we separated church from the state then as yeah. reason will prevail. And they didn't really consider the fact that there might be another fundamental assumption. I, I yeah. put this in terms of, cause I completely agree with you. I just put this in terms of faith, which is, you know, probably a consequence of my Catholic sure. upbringing, but it's just, but I think that most people operate on the basis of faith more than they operate on the basis of pure reason or even instinct, which would include emotion. And of course, you know, then there's the psychological research that supports the idea that you come to an emotional decision and then you rationalize backwards. So, but, but yeah, no, I, please go. Cause I actually haven't, I haven't walked through this before. So thank cool. you. So, yeah. So after mythic, you get to rational, which is the mm-hmm. enlightenment. It's the, I mean, Marx and Locke were both rationalists. They were the, mm-hmm. they were the, the, what we would call modernist thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, following that you get into pluralistic or postmodern and then following postmodern, you get into integral. Um, there are very few people who are integral now. Uh, I would not claim myself to be in- integral, um, but what integral does is it integrates all of the preceding levels um, and it integrates all four of those quadrants. That's why it's mm-hmm. called integral. Um, and so you the the common like acronym is AQAL, AQUAL, uh, where y- you can have the the postmodern subjectivism but also reject the postmodern like relativism for instance Mm, okay i like Um, that and in my opinion and i'm a brand new baby integral thinker 
so I don't know for sure if I'm onto something or if someone else has already written volumes on it or what, but each of these phases seems to um, peter out when it becomes an absurd caricature of where it started. And so like uh, the mythic literal, for instance, um, kind of started to phase out when the, like the, the Puritans and the, the sort of more violent religionists um, became like the predominant, the predominant group, I guess, in, in, um, in, in the mythic like worldview. It started out with say like the scholastics who were more propositional than impositional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it became impositional with the Puritans. Gotcha. And so the enlightenment thinkers started to um, come into the fore uh, with their propositions. And then that became absurd with like World War II and the progressive movements. And I mean, even Ayn Rand, sorry, objectivists, but Ayn Rand <laughs> was a fucking caricature of, right. uh, of, of some of her uh, uh, predecessors, I guess. Right. Okay. Um, and so then, uh, you know, after, after the atomic bomb, that's when Foucault and the postmodernists started to, to kind of react to this scientific worldview. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's why I kind of differ with Jordan Peterson, for instance, in well, I was labeling, ask, do you think Jordan Peterson is an integrate as an integral? I, 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 okay, wait, let's, let's come back to that for sure. Cause I think sure. that's an important thing to talk about, but do you think that Jordan Peterson in a sense actually is an integral thinker then? I, I mean, and yeah. let me, let me back up two more steps. Cause I know that's, that's probably a big question to ask. And if you answer it, people will hate you. So I'll, so let me back that up for a second and just, and. I, I like it. This is, it's, it's very, it's very much cohering with like a lot of, a lot of intuitions that I've had and the things I've been trying to work out. And it's part of the reason why I laugh. Um, so one of the benefits of doing all this writing is I have these nifty little headlines I can always refer to, and this is why I do it. And I write in kind of that style of Nietzsche where I do like aphorisms. And so I went through the part in the gay science where he talks about um, you know, he talks about the moralizers and how there's always the new moralizer who comes up and says, this is the way. And it's ultimately mm-hmm. laughter that breaks him down. And I mean, between that and the passage on the death of God was was earth was was mind shattering for me um, in the best possible sense, because I think it, it opened up it opened up like a newer level of of, of thought to me in that moment. And it's it's the eternal return of the same. Right. So eventually, because like you said, it's really interesting that you might become a caricature of yourself. And I've actually, you know, in that we're in that we're talking so grandiose, the, the thought has been ringing in my mind, the line from Batman um, with, with Harvey Dent, right? You either, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Oh, Oh and, God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> It's, well, and especially if you're like Harvey Dent and you come into some position of authority. Right, right. I mean, yeah. yeah the exception becoming the rule. Yeah. So like, so this is where I think it's interesting because you've kind of expressed some trepidation about, you know, people within. This is, this is the, I think as, I think as non-dogmatic individuals, this is the trepidation of seeking out any kind of power, especially political yeah. power. And maybe I can rationalize and say, to your point that I think you were getting at before, I can rationalize and say, well, maybe if I just do it in a market sense where I have a business, but then how many 
but then, you know, we all know, you know, that in small, there's many a small business and this was, um, a great interview people, a great debate people can watch is between Richard Wolf and Gene Epstein on, on, on uh, capitalism or socialism. Did you watch mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. what, and Richard Wolf, I think I got his first name, right. Definitely got the last name. Correct. Um, he makes a big stink over the fact that the problem with capitalism is the fact is, is that you are still underneath your boss. Now I think I can, I think you can rationalize hierarchy a little bit more. And this is where I would fall into Jordan Peterson, but let me quickly say, because I can't, because I, I listened to your talk with Thad, I do think that he was, I think that the postmodernism thing came afterwards. He talked a lot about Marxism in the beginning because I followed him pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And the postmodernism thing was just kind of lumped in and is the fault, not of the postmodernists, because I like to say there's a difference between the thinker and their followers, right? So it's, it's very little to do with Foucault, let's say, but it might have a lot to do with the people who like to talk about Foucault and like to use Foucault. In, in their own particular arguments. The same way, by the way, in the way in which uh, followers of Nietzsche will just write God is dead and not bother to ever tell somebody the next line, which is that right. we have killed him, which is, which is the actual profound part of what, yeah. of, of what he talks about in that part of the book of the gay when, science. When he said that, was, was he lamenting it? Yes. Or well, celebrating? No. So, um, so in the gay science, which is where he talks about the idea um, it's, it's like just a quick roll away. Frankly, I could probably open it up to the page, but it's, uh, so like Nietzsche writes in this aphoristic style. So it'll kind of just be a heading and then it'll go through. So it's actually like a crazy man or who the who the herd perceives as crazy coming in and yelling that God is dead. God is dead. And we have killed him. And, you know, and it's, um, I'm remembering more what's taught what I was, you know, how we discussed it than the words itself. Cause it's been a while, but effectively it's it's about removing the metaphysical underpinnings of the christian world it's it's this yeah. we've allowed we've and by doing that the postmodernists would con, would probably put this in terms of a meta narrative right and that's that's a term that i think more people will be familiar with or this unifying theory so for whatever else all the war all the plight all the suffering in europe in the christian in christendom right because it was christendom basically until that point there that's now over and done with because because we've decided to kill him with reason and logic but we've actually just replaced we've actually just done the same thing and maybe because they've gotten we've gotten rid of the idea of god or we've decided that that's not necessary that might actually create more problems and in the narrative of that piece is um is effectively him just saying like you know you don't understand this is going to be a problem and everybody's yeah. saying don't worry well, about I mean it here, li listen, listen, just listen to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm guessing the audience has not, I'm guessing a lot of the members of the audience have not listened to this because it's my, it's my first time reading it in, I don't know. I, I mean, it probably since at least the woke stuff started, hmm. um, it goes, God is dead. God remains dead and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? That, like right now, yeah. where we have this religion that is, that's, so bent on accusation and punishment and there is no 
there's no way to atone. There are certain people who are allowed to apologize and get and become back in kind of good standing, but it's completely arbitrary and random who it is that, like Louis C.K. for instance, apologized and tried to make atonement, but he's he's no longer in good standing. I, I went mm-hmm. I went to a Louis C.K. concert uh, and um, you know innocently posted a picture of my ticket stub on Snapchat or something like mm-hmm. that, and someone. It was like, why would you? Why would you go to that rapist's concert? Why would you give yeah. him your money? Like, well, because he's funny, and I wanted to laugh. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. The the first thing, the first thing that I wrote for for binawake.com was said said that if I'm successful, you know, and much 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 better, you know, much more more much more prosaic prose. Um, if I'm successful, then I will be called all the worst things in the world. And there's this kind of weird thing of like, okay, I tried it when I was in my early 20s and, I, you know, it didn't really take off. And so then I started working really hard and then basically 2020 happened. And, you know, I've been I've been doing this in my spare time with my friends, with my family for as long as I can remember having these types of great conversations. And thank you so much for doing this because we're we've actually I this is like I'm, I'm, I'm reading listening to those words again. I'm like, man, it's one of those things that just never gets old. Yeah. Um, but I really, but it was this ascendancy of this new, ridiculous, frankly, this new religious impulse in, in the country. And this, this bastardization of Christianity, this bastardization of liberalism, this bastardization of freedom that effectively just inverts a racial hierarchy that was bullshit to begin with and just says, okay, well, as long as we inter- as long as we uh, as long as we invert the racial hierarchy and intersect it, then we can now make everything better. And it's our turn to be the assholes. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's and it. it's the eternal return of the same. It's literally what it's 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 <laughs> what water can wash away our sins is, I think, with a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. And that's one of the reasons why the answer is I do think it's a war. I do like I, I, I've become I've I've become convinced of that. And maybe I'm wrong, but the the key and this is where the libertarianism comes back in is to win the war is not to destroy the enemy it's not necessarily to wipe it out it's to essentially in in many respects just offer people a better path or at least that that's the only way i can conceptualize it because otherwise we're just doing what every single other totalitarian ideology has ever done throughout all of history what Mm -hmm. the worst humans have ever done which is decide, okay, well, we got to wipe out like a quarter of the population. Because when you go deep enough down the rabbit hole of trying to fix society, that's ultimately where you end up. Right. And there, yeah. is, there is no escaping it. That's, um, so listening, I've been, I've been binging a bunch of episodes of your podcast today just so that I could kind of get a feel oh, for your thought. You. Yeah, well, sure. I wanted to have a good conversation tonight. So, um, but uh, I don't remember what it was that you said that, that, put this thought in my head and I wanted to tweet it out and I really wanted to start emulating you where I'm writing more often. Um, but, uh, it's just not my, it's just not my, my thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, maybe we can talk about your time management if we have time. Um, but, uh, there's, there's two kinds of people who will run for political office with the hope of winning that political office. There's the true believers and there's the power hungry. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't want either one of those groups of people, including true believing libertarians mm. to go anywhere near mm. power. Yeah. Um, there are very, very few Ron Paul's and Justin Amash's in this world. Yep. Very few. Uh, 
and well, and both of there's them even fewer, and there's even fewer who can win an election. Right. Yeah. Now, well, and there's only, and they only rose to a certain level, right? So it's it's yeah. also it's also a question of what how high can you go on in this political hierarchy? And again, the only reason why it there, I know there's a lot of people say, well, then screw politics. It's like, okay, but I don't think it's that kind of time anymore. And there's nowhere for us to go except space, which keep going, Elon. But like, you know, like there's nowhere for us to go, but off this earth or into the sea. And again, I'm totally down with sea studying too. I think it's fantastic, but you have to give people what I, what I, the only thing I try to emulate and is Socrates, right? I, that's the only thing I can try to do. And if I'm, if I'm feeling particularly frisky, maybe a little bit of Nietzsche and, you know, history will be the judge of whether I'm actually worthy of either of those, either of those uh, people, but it comes, it, it's both of them and what philosophy does and good philosophy does is question and always question and hold things to account. And you don't usually see the fruit of the tree that you plant when you do something like that. And there is always, and this is, this is the danger that I, I've been thinking about a lot as I've been doing this more. And I, I think I, I love what you just said, that the true belief, that you don't necessarily want the true believer to get into power because the true believer can, in some respects, be if for no other, because maybe in, you know this this might be this might be a tangent this might be an aside but, but but tell me what you think because there's like this sudden thing where now we're supposed to just take on socialists like we're just supposed to accept like we're we're in the libertarian sense but in, even just in the more broad even just in the more broad liberty minded sense we're just supposed to take on the idea of socialism as not a historical right you can make a historical case for why socialist thinkers should be you should consider them and you should look into them but the we're just supposed to say that oh okay yeah no it's fine we can be we can just have socialists that works and maybe i'm maybe i'm being a little too dogmatic in this but but damn it if i damn it if i'm not going to stick up a little bit as somebody who's the only reason why I exist is because communism killed members of my family and they fled to this country. It, like it, it just, it bothers me. It, it just, I don't, I don't quite understand. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to be a true believer. So as long as everybody sticks to libertarianism or says that they're libertarians, then we're cool. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so to, you're, you're a fan of Tim pool. Um, mm -hmm. I think that he makes a really good point that, you know, the people, the people who call themselves libertarian socialists are generally not libertarian socialists. They're like on the, on the political compass, they're on the left for sure, mm -hmm. but they're like in the center veering towards the top hmm. of the, of the authoritarian to liberal side yeah. axis. Um, the people who are actually libertarian socialists are living on communes. They're not getting into politics. Right. Right. Yeah. They have you know? <laughs> that. They, you're, that's a great point. Absolutely. Cause yeah, there's no issues with communal living. There's no issues with, I mean, you know, we both come from a Catholic background, right? There's a huge element of communalism within the Catholic church yeah. and the Catholic. Well, hell, you were educated by the Benedictines. I mean, it's like the, 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 the founders of communal Catholicism. Absolutely. Yeah. No, great point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Work in prayer. That's, that's what you're supposed, that's how you're supposed to live your life and how you're supposed to dedicate to it, dedicate it. It's, um, 
man, it's it's one of those things. It's just something that I'm coming across and I'm, I'm really hoping and hopefully this doesn't scare any of them away, but I've been reaching out to a few of those people who I see on on Twitter, which is, of course, a poor reflection of who people are. Um, and I hope that they come on the show. So I just wanted to put that on there because I think we can have a really interesting conversation because frankly, all I want to ever try, you know, I, when I'm in my best self and I'm doing my best thing, I try to come from a place of understanding. You know, that was like one of the first things that we talked about, but let's circle back to Jordan Peterson. If you have some time, I know I've been, yeah, you know, sure, work, no, no, no. okay, I'm, awesome. I'm so, um, so I would agree with the broader point that, you know, everybody got a little too hung up on postmodernism. And just to move the argument forward a couple more steps, Thad, Thad Russell, who's his, his Renegade History is a necessary book that I haven't read yet, but his podcast, Renegade, uh, Renegade, what, what is his unregistered, unregistered podcast and Renegade University is, I, I, I would never stop recommending it because he is Which, such an interesting by the way, thinker. A, there's an amazing course on Nietzsche in Renegade University. I will definitely have. Uh, I've been meaning to talk. give him. I've been meaning to give him some of my dollars. So that oh, sounds cool. like a well, good way of doing it. <laughs> uh, quick shameless plug: BlackbirdPodcast.com/slash/Renegade will be my affiliate link. So. Uh, oh, perfect! Awesome, yeah. um, awesome for sure. And so, so what? So what? And so Thaddeus Russell. Uh, Th- let me let me set the scene for just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what Thad Russell has done, and he is a historian by training and, and now an entrepreneur and a beautiful representation of what academics should be, I would argue, um, in the modern age. He has put forward the idea that postmodernism is not uh, not the danger that, generally speaking, conservatives and the broader right would think that it is. Um, would think that it is. And, uh, and he goes by quoting source material, and he's done a few... Um, he's done a few uh, debates on the subject. One mm-hmm. with uh, who's the guy from Rockford that wrote the one book? Um, it was his thesis. Uh, Stephen Hicks. Yeah, that's it. Um, Thank you. So he did one with Stephen Which, Hicks. Stephen Hicks is. The, I, I am convinced that that is all Jordan Peterson has ever written has ever read on postmodernism. Uh, that's right, and he's made the same case, and it could very well be the case. And I've read that book, and I was like, huh, this is this is. It was one of those things where I'm like, this is useful, but not to not to disparage another academic but you know I, I i felt like there were a little there were a couple of liberties taken that i wouldn't have taken as far as tracing the school of thought far as far back as he did so um and frankly in that in that debate i, I you know that really did a good job of making the case for uh, specifically if we want to talk about in terms of human freedom um why it's not it's not fair to say that postmodernism is at the root of it and the second one he did more recently on the Tom Woods show is with Michael Rechtenwald. And, and frankly, in that right. one, he, <laughs> where Rechtenwald uh, concluded that Thad was actually a modernist um, in postmodern clothes. Correct. And now you have come precisely to why I start my show by asking people how they self-identify and why I think yeah. identity is in some respects paradoxical, because when you push up against somebody who has a more, let's, let's use the term dogma. For, for the purposes of this discussion, who has a more dogmatic personality, right? So this is something immutable about them in a sense. Mm-hmm. If you don't fit into the box, well, then you just must be in another box. Whereas the point I was trying to elucidate before is that, no, I think there's actually a way in which both, pe- both boxes, like both people are actually in the same box and both ideas are actually in the same box. But in that second one, I really think he drove the point home, certainly that it's not the danger. Here's my caveat. And it's not even a caveat. What he points out correctly is that it was the Frankfurt School, uh, which I know for people listening, we might be going too far too fast. I'll get to all these ideas at some point on the pages of binawake.com. Um, but the Frankfurt School was started in 
uh, England in the early 20th century, very much in conjunction with the progressive movement. And their symbol was literally a wolf in sheep's clothing. So he, so he, I think he points that out correctly, but here's the only thing I'm going to point out is I came from a more Republican background, a more conservative background, an anti-communist background, given my family's history. And so, you know, communism was the bad thing. Marx was the bad thing. And that, that was, that, that definitely informed, you know, my perception of the world. If you, and I know this because I was one of those people like, whoa, did you learn about the Frankfurt school? And there's all this Marxism and they try to put Marxism into this cultural thing. And oh my God, did he just say cultural Marxism? Right. And so it's this thing where like, yeah, I think that is right. And to the point of, with this is why I would say like, this is why you should get Jordan Peterson on your show and you should try to talk to him about this offline because I think it would be a really interesting thing to see that synergy happen. Because if you hit that third rail of the Frankfurt school, you were immediately labeled a conspiracist, right? And I just, I deplore the term. I rarely ever use it. I'm using it here to point out the fact that you couldn't even touch the Frankfurt school. Not even somebody like Stephen Hicks would touch the Frankfurt school because much like the John Birch society, if you even make mention of it, people have this intuition that you're all of a sudden very, very crazy. Whereas postmodernism, most people have at least read maybe a little bit of Foucault or they had that, or they saw that crazy professor on campus, so to speak. I didn't know that. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't realize that the Frankfurt school was, uh, was like anathema. I cer- certainly, I mean, it, I had never heard it talked about before I discovered libertarianism. And when yeah. I would try to bring it up in, you know, like at the small university that I was at, nobody even knew about it or it was, yeah, we, you know, you, you shouldn't really talk like that. Right. And I might be drawing conclusions a little bit here, but I'm just, it's just it is one of those things where it's it's either you're not supposed it's the same thing you're not supposed to talk about the influence of marxism right you know a lot of and everybody mm-hmm. will just kind of go crazy with it uh but postmodernism was something i think you could latch on to because more people were familiar with it and frankly there's a lot of shitty postmodernists out there yeah um so to jordan peterson i i think that and you know he's just now busting back on this on the scene mm-hmm. um i feel like towards the end of his like first leg of his career prior to uh, his wife's cancer and his health issues, um, he had stopped using his catchphrase postmodern neo-Marxists. Mm-hmm. And he had started acknowledging the criticism that the postmodernists were opposed to Marx. It was almost like he had been listening to Thaddeus Russell or maybe perhaps more likely he had seen this YouTube video that was an open letter to Jordan Peterson from a fan of Jordan Peterson. It's like a half hour long video. I highly recommend anybody who's interested in this topic. If you send it to it. me, I'll throw it in the I'll okay. throw it in the show notes. I will. It's fantastic. And there's a and there's a transcript as well. Like the actual open letter okay. um, is in a Google Doc. Uh, I'll try to find it. It's really good. Um, but basically, it's making the case that not only are the people that Jordan Peterson is criticizing not postmodernists, but that Jordan Peterson himself is a postmodernist. Hmm. Uh, I, since kind of discovering integral theory, um, the other thing about integral theory is, so each of those levels that archaic, magic, mythic, rational, uh, Inter- pluralistic, or pluralistic, integral, integral. Okay. Yeah, or, or modernist, postmodernist, integral. Mm-hmm. Um, each of those are, they're, they're like societal progressions, but they're also personal progressions. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. I, yeah. 
like you you start out like you discover oh uh here's my here's my thumb like you 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 notice that like there's bits and pieces of you that you can see and perceive and feel and like if you pinch yourself you feel it and it hurts mm-hmm. um and then you realize so that's like archaic and then you realize hey if i cry all of a sudden there's going to be a boob in my mouth and i'm going to be eating um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the magic then there's the you know my dad can beat up anybody and that's the mythic um and then uh you know there's the oh my parents don't know shit uh, i know everything and that's the rationalist and then you're in university and you know oh wow all of a sudden there's all these people who don't look like me or think like me hmm. or talk like me and that's the pluralistic um so as as humanity starts discovering these new um levels and realms and ways of looking at the world, individuals also can go through those. Um, some people never go past certain stages, um, but it's important. So in addition to all quadrants, all levels, there's also all lines and mm-hmm. all lines refers to the different aspects of your personality. So like maybe mm-hmm. in interpersonal relationships, you're pluralistic, but in politics, you're rational. And in like religion, you're mythic and in uh, um culture you are uh integral or whatever like you're 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 different you're different you're different uh areas of of life can be in different places and i think that jordan peterson like anybody else um is his lines reach different areas well i think yeah all this is really cohering for me um, so I, I'm loving it because it's like, okay, so there is somebody else that's been thinking like this. And frankly, this maps on to the maps of meaning idea. Right. And if anything, it's, it's, so I think I, that's very, very interesting. And I think certainly in that he's back and I haven't been following him too closely since he's been back, but I'm thankful that he is. I, um, I thoroughly look forward to, I thoroughly look forward to what he, what he would maybe, where he would maybe develop it because he's very good in these, uh, in the realm of ideas, but less so in the political realm. Although yeah. I will say that his, his advice of ridding yourself of ideology helps me push past a lot of the, you know, simplistic dogmatist arguments. And I focused a lot more on like influence and persuasion than I have on, um, on just asserting like what you were saying, that rationalist position as a result of, um, as a result of, as, as, as a result of that sort of idea. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I will have to look into more of that, more of that integral stuff. That's got my brain yeah. doing fireworks right now. It's really cool. So I've done I've done one interview on my show with a guy named Brian O'Doherty, who is a libertarian. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually I think he identifies as agorist. Um, but he wrote a he wrote an article called "An Integral Politics" or like an integral vision of politics or something like that, mm-hmm. where he made the case that panarchism, which is sort of like a hoppianism without the rough edges, hmm. um, is like the integral political worldview. Right. Um, uh, most integral people are, you know, just liberal. And- so are you familiar, sorry to cut you off, but are you familiar no, with fine. the the master and his emissary by Ian McGilchrist? No. So it's an interview with Jordan Peterson. I don't think all of it is available publicly anymore, but the book is The Master and His Emissary. And this relates to existentialism, which Jordan Peterson said he's a fan of, which is, you know, relates to our conversation vis-a-vis postmodernism. But um, so Ian McGrillcrest is a neuroscientist who studied the the, the physical structure of the brain. And it's been a bit, I have the audio book. It's 27 hours. I haven't started it. Um, I should probably get the book too to read along because I'm sure it's very dense. 
what I the schema, the basic the basic thesis of what he was talking about is that our brains on an evolutionary level and evolutionary theory is not something we've talked about. But I think I was certainly has informed a lot of my thinking. I would I, maybe yours as well. But it, from an, on an evolutionary basis, our brains are actually programmed, designed to work in two modes. It's this dualism, which, you know, you're, it's, it's the expression and the understanding. It's the yin and the yang. And it's the, for the known and for the unknown. And we're constantly moving back between those two different areas. And, and just that there is not, there's not this certainty to the brain. There's not this certainty to the idea of self that so many people, you know, what you were just saying is not everybody's going to move all the way up or down that chain, depending on mm -hmm. how you want to, how you want to put it. And I think if we, if we go back to somebody like Montaigne, who, uh, for his apology for Ramon Sabon, he basically concludes that ignorance is bliss and one thing that the that the level of wealth that we've achieved in society is for those of us who don't want to be ignorant. And if you've listened this far in the show, you do not want to be an ignorant person. So I thank you for it. Make sure you subscribe <laughs> yeah. at binawake.com. Make sure you subscribe at blackbirdpodcast.com. Right. Did I get that right? Blackbirds, blackbird.substack.com is where you subscribe, but blackbirdpodcast.com will take you there too. Perfect. I think, God, I hardly ever go to blackbirdpodcast.com. It's terrible. I don't go to my own website, but I think <laughs> there's like a sign up in the sidebar or something. Blackbird.substack.com like then. Um, you know, so if, for, for those of us who want to take the journey, we can. And basically we live in a social order that doesn't allow for that um, because it is still very hierarchical. It's still very centralized. And instead of people being able to create their own hierarchies, we're stuck within this one that we that, that we we're, we're stuck within the one that we were born into effectively, whether that be by virtue of geography or um, yeah, mostly but mostly geography at this point. Uh, it's. Um, it's fascinating to think about because we can I think for for like we've 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 touched a lot about the idea of like being dogmatic or not dogmatic if you're not a dogmatic person and so you're constantly searching or at the very least you're constantly just searching or interested in new ideas, you've never had, we've never had the chance before today. And that's where I go back to the market does provide, it may take 2000 years of human history, but you could still make the argument because the market is just a heuristic for individuals interacting and trying to, you know, and there's always, there's always going to be the light in the dark. And that's where, that's where the tyrants, fail and that's where they'll eventually be laughed out of existence or at least you know if we could end this thing on a white pill we I, that's 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 in the aggregate we're all dead so we may as well try to take out you know we, we may as well try and fight against evil and that's kind of like i was um i've uh so i've recently uh actually at the beginning of lent is kind of an interesting thing um to to you know because it always traces back to are you familiar with joseph piper i know this sorry this is an aside but joseph piper uh that sounds familiar but art I, the a culture is uh the um crap what the hell's the name of the book it was um he's he was a catholic thinker early 20th mid mid 20th century and it was um leisure as the basis of culture is the essay that i read i bought it at yalcon in a, a few years ago i asked the guy for from liberty fund what's the weirdest what's like the the, the like the most off the beaten path book you have here. He gave me that one and it's brilliant. I need to reread it and I'm going to talk mm. about it more. I'd highly recommend it. Um, I don't know where I was going now because I lost much. Oh, and this is funny because it's short term memory. I actually stopped. I've, I've stopped smoking marijuana recently 
And I've been a habitual user for years, uh, pretty much every day for like seven, eight years, if I'm being honest. And this is the first time I've ever taken a considerable break and a conscious break, uh, in part because I wanted to be more productive. And I was just saying today that the enemies of civilization, because at my on my website, it says, I believe we can address the injustices of today without the sacrifice of our civilization. That's the marketing. Um, that enemies of civilization, the worst thing that could have possibly happened to them is me, <laughs> is 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 my getting is my getting off the ganja because it's 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 one of those things where I it's I uh, I suffer I'm go, I suffer I find myself increasingly suffering fools less as a result of it for better or worse and let's we'll I guess time will tell on that. <laughs> where do you fall? Are you uh, white pill. Let let no let no one accuse you of not having a messiah complex. Apparently. Oh Jesus Christ! I know. <laughs> um, what uh, pill? What pill am I? Ah, uh, I don't know, man. So, I, I am. So I have I've 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 taken all four of Michael Malice's red pills. Um, mm-hmm same and I, th- I i do think that the united states perhaps the global system as we know it is headed for something like a collapse absolutely or at least yeah. a reshuffling mm-hmm. and i see that as a potentially very good thing mm-hmm. so i i think that would be a white pill yeah it's not pessimistic but it also, it doesn't, it's, it's definitely not, it's definitely not like Pollyanna-ish either. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're headed into something very strange. Yeah. To, to put exactly. it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that excites me to no end. Um, and your, your messianic point is well taken. Uh, and so it's, it's, um, it, there, there are two things behind it. One, I have a penchant for the melodrama, which is what makes my show entertaining. And then uh, two, I remember at a conference once, like an academic said, you may as well write for the ages. And I don't know if, I, and I'm not ah, going to say everything. I'm not going to say that everything I've written is for the ages, but the best parts of it. And by just by, I've replaced the idea of perfection with consistency. Um, and there's just, and, and so a lot of things kind of flow from that. And, you know what, frankly, you may as well try. That's, uh, and, you know, and I'll probably fail, but that would, that only puts me in, in league with pretty much every other human in history. You know, what does your, what does your writing habit look like? Like when, yeah. when, when do you write and how do you decide what to write? For sure. Um, so this has taken me a bit to work out. Uh, so I've always kind of, I've always been somebody who's had these like little sayings, little ideas. Um, I've, I've surrounded myself with people who like to explore ideas, some of my closest friends. Um, basically, there's, so I mean, so my, so my system is Sundays. Uh, Sundays have become my writing day. I sit down and I try to write at least two articles. Sometimes I'll get to four. Um, I basically started by saying, okay, I wanna do something that's current events, something that's a little more philosophical, and then a piece of content recommendation. Then I kind of got to the point where I wanted to do more than that. And so I started going to four days a week and then the podcast is usually released on Fridays. So what I, so where I kind of, so what I did was I just tried to write and I tried, I would try to sit down and I would just try to get something out. I mean, if you go and look at the original pieces that I wrote, they were like a hundred, 200 words. 
That's um, really short. That's doable. Correct. Exactly. And uh, and then so and that's that that's what I was doing. I was like, okay, I can at least get this idea out. Right. I've talked about the I've talked about like an idea of individualism, and collectivism a million times. I've put it, I've written it on Facebook. I've written it in my group chats. I've written it everywhere. I can just write this idea again. Um, but frankly, it really started with uh, these guys. And, you know, I, I believe in having people around you who will hold you to account and having like good people. And I was writing and I was like, hey, guys, you know, I've been working on this thing. Can you help me? What do you think of this? And one of my friends who's incredibly bright. Um, he said, dude, this is really good, but I can barely understand it. And if I can barely understand it, what is everybody else going to think? Cause I was basically writing in this early 20th century prose that was very oh. dense and, you oh, know, yeah. like, like Hayek basically, or Mises. Um, and so I, that like, that sent me on a spiral, man. Like I was, for like a couple of weeks, I was like thinking about it a lot. I couldn't get over it. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, screw these guys. Like, I know this is really good. And then I was like, no, but you have to listen to your friends and you have to listen to people who care about you, you know, and that are good people and that have your best interests at heart. And something just clicked and I started, okay, so make it simple. And part of that was using less words and, and using simpler words as well. And so I kind of started there writing very simple pieces. The first podcast was 10 minutes long for this show. Um, and then now, you know, now we've been going for about an hour and a half, which isn't too bad, all things considered. Um, but even the solo shows, I can, I can do over an hour now by just going through the pieces. So it was, it was honestly, it was that gradualism. And like what's, it, it's so rewarding because now six months in, I'm just starting to see some of the rewards. Um, but just this getting a lot of it was stuff that was just inside. So it was just kind of, it was having the space and really being committed to getting the ideas out. And I started doing it when I was on vacation and that's, I, I'm probably the only person who will sit and write on vacation and think that that's a great thing. I wrote a 13 page essay on skepticism. When I was in Jamaica, I would wake up and write for an hour or two every morning before the rest of my family got up. And it, it, so like, so that's so really though, I started small and I started in bite-sized chunks. And so I was, I was like, okay, I can do a post every three days. I, I can do that because I can just write a little bit about something and I'm going to do a piece of content recommendation. So all I have to do for that third post is say, Hey, go check out this video that I watched. Cause I watch a lot of podcasts and uh -huh. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And then I got to the point where I'm like, well, Hey, I actually want to cover this. And then that led me to, okay, now I'm going to systematize this. So Monday is a current Monday is current events. Tuesday is generally a philosophy or economic principle that I'm trying to draw out. Wednesday is a swing day. Thursday is content recommendation. And then Friday was the show. And then I was trying to figure out how to make the show unique. And then I realized I'm writing four freaking articles a week. I can just talk about those four articles. And if I spend 10 minutes on each of those articles, I'm getting to, I'm doing a 40 minute podcast every single week. And this that. is all around doing a sales job that takes up a lot of my time. On uh, your content recommendations, how do you, how do you keep that from like just being Tom Woods, Dave Smith, maybe a reason article from here to, from time to time, Michael Malice, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, reason. Michael. <laughs> like, oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I don't, I don't let my, so, so that's where I don't let the, you know, don't let the good, the, what is it? Something become the enemy of the good or the whatever. Don't let the perfect uh, be the enemy of the good. Thank yeah. you. Yes. That's what I'm trying to think of. So that's, that, that's kind of where it's like, it's, Okay, I whatever I consumed that week, and I try to, you know, I try to expand my circles. Sometimes I, you know what, I, I'll do like Ryan Long videos because I think he's hilarious too. So funny. So, uh, you know, I'll Church try of to, Woke thing is so good. It was Have very, you seen, very good. Oh yeah. Oh no, I've seen everything he's produced for like the last six months. It's it's brilliant. 
He's he's got and I, I think he does such a good job because he's a true artist at the end of the day. For whatever other yeah. intelligent things he might have to say, he's really committed to his artistry. Um, and I respect that. But honestly, it just kind of comes from that sort of a thing where I say, okay, I'm gonna do uh, and I've, I've listened to Jason Stapleton for a long time as well. I kind of I fell off. I come back. I'm actually in his network uh, of people. And what he kind of said was he put out a call for a published 365 challenge. And so I've been pretty much doing that as a result, because not only do I do all of this stuff, I also do a weekly post about professionalism um, on my LinkedIn page for, uh, you know, under my, my, my main, my main name, my birth name, my Christian name, as it were. Um, uh, and so, so like, I actually do a lot. Um, so I, so I, so I started doing that. And the reason was like, well, I'm already writing all this. I may as well write one little fluff piece about how you should try harder in your job and write something about my industry. And now that's turned into me doing, creating little graphics from what I've done. And I just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build something, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, I just, I liked it. I enjoyed the feedback, the writing, writing itself has helped my process, my mental clarity, my mental health just from a standpoint of like, okay, this idea is out now. I can focus more on my job because I'm not getting, I'm not getting logged into something that I'm, you know, that I'm, uh, that, that I'm trying to work out or, you know, some random thing. And I here and here comes the thing again. And, and again, your point was taken, but, and it was also, it's like, okay, there are a lot of people out there writing and I think I can do a better job than them. Uh-huh. So I may as well try. And, you know, and I'm not going to get hung up on the fact that I'm starting at 28 versus 22. And I'm certainly not going to get hung up on the fact, especially now, thanks to somebody like Michael Malice, that I don't work for a major company. And I'm not even interested in getting my stuff published because I just kind of realized I can develop a body of work on my own with the tools available to me. But the real, like, so in short, baby steps. I mean, you can, you can go back and cause it's been six months and you can kind of see where, okay, yeah, you know, this is, it was just, oh, here's your piece of content recommendation. Like, I really liked this one. You should listen to this video, right? It was just, and it was kind of just that. And then I was, I was having friends on a lot, but go ahead. I've been, I've been working with a productivity coach, Michael or Miguel Duque, um, who's a great, he's a great agorist Mm -hmm. um, coach and organizer and just all around good dude, amagi.life, if you're looking for his website. Um, And I'm hitting all of my goals, except for publishing content twice a week. I really, really want to be writing. And I just have not made that part of my habit. So Mm -hmm. content, content uh, recommendation sounds like something that's very doable. I mean, I'm consuming content all day, every day. Like there's never a time when I'm, when I'm working my day job, I've got YouTube, you know, whether it's Tim pool or cooking videos or whatever playing in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, current events, I'm, 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 I'm probably hopeless on current events, although that'll probably change here coming soon. But uh, I mean, I'm a political junkie. So I've always been, I've always been plugged into the news cycle. So like, that's, that was like, that's a very easy, that's, yeah so mm-hmm. uh but yeah I've, i and you know i mean hell half my facebook posts are 100 or 200 words like i mean <laughs> right and, and or at least they can be made to be that long mm-hmm. and for me it was also like i got off of facebook i'm still i still have a profile there but um not as lb and i got off of i just stopped posting regularly on facebook and so that was the other part uh the other big thing for me was okay i want to build this list i'm treating this like i'm treating this as close to a business as i can it's on a donation model right now but um i'm trying to treat this like a business and if i'm going to put stuff out there i want it to be thoughtful and i want to make sure it's in a form that's 
okay, you have to come to me to read this. And that's, and it's okay. And the other thing was being like, it's okay if people don't like this. That was the other big thing I had to overcome was, you know, uh, members of my family, people, you know, other friends I have who are just not interested in these ideas or interested in different ideas um, was just being like, okay, you know, I'm going to write for, I'm going to write for people who want to read my stuff and not anybody else. And, you know, and that means I'm gonna, that might mean I offend some people, but that's okay. Um, and, and that was, and that was when I say, I say this very easily now, but my personality type is, is very close to like, oh, I just, I, you know, I'm a child, I'm a product of divorce. I want everybody to get along. Like I want, I don't want people, I don't want things to get too crazy. I want, I want to figure out a cohesion and like a way for us all to be happy. And, you know, at some point now I've finally realized that maybe that's not the case or rather it's not really important to have bad people. I don't, I shouldn't care about bad people being happy. That's nothing to do with my parents, by the way, if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> they love you and you love them. <laughs> they do. I do. Uh, um, real quick, let's, uh, I think at the beginning we teased faith and religion. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on that just real quick. Absolutely. Uh, no, we in, can go. The, I mean, we can chop this episode into two, so I'm totally oh, cool. Too cool right. man. Let's roll. I'm loving in the, this. Although I'm, my brain is getting a little bit tired. I, For I sure. don't quite have Jordan Peterson's pre, <laughs> pre, uh, coma stamina i'm I'm gonna regret this diet coke i got with the uber eats on the way here but for the very least it's keeping me engaged in the conversation because i feel you man all right um so what what was i saying so the the faith Faith and religion yeah i this is this is brand new so Mm -hmm. vin armani who i'm a big fan of has been um talking a lot lately about the orthodox faith or mm. faiths, the churches mm-hmm. um, that are essentially Catholic, but they're out of communion with Rome. Right. And um, actually, I mean, they're pretty, they're, they're, they're not quite, they're not cloistered like Benedictines, but they are very spiritual. They're, they're less mm-hmm. dogmatic. Like you're, you know, I mean, I'm sure they have catechisms, but like the catechism of the Roman Catholic church, that book that's thicker than the Bible that every Catholic has on a shelf next to a Bible. Yep you're not going to find a book like that in an Orthodox household mm-hmm. um, because the doctrine is not quite as important as the praxis. Yes. And I think so. So I've been, I've been reflecting a little bit. You, a lot of times will say you were meditating on a, mm-hmm. a concept or a thought or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think I probably do that too, although I don't use the word meditate. And I, I think I'm selling myself short because yes, I do. I think, would you like to hear why? Yeah, please. Okay. So we tend to put meditation into, um, we we tend to ascribe it to Buddhism to be very simple for a second. Mm -hmm. And given that there are at least two ways to understand everything and in this, and I'll come back to the concrete evidence, but let's stick, let's stick with the theoretical. We can broadly think we can broadly shape up the world between the East and the West, like two of the greatest civilizations Mm -hmm. uh, that have, that have uh, existed throughout human history. And, and I guess better said, let me be careful here. The most de- like two of the most developed civilizations as far as a philosophical thought. Um, both of them have a concept of meditation. We just call one prayer and the other meditation. Uh, and so there's, it effectively falls along two lines. One involves emptying your mind. And it's not even empty in your mind because if we go to Parmenides, then it's, you know, you can't actually think of nothing. So what do you do in like in Eastern meditation is you actually try to focus on one thing, whether it's a candle, the sound of a gong, the sound of bells, or you do like a visualization thing. 
uh, you know, I could go through mine, but whatever. You're supposed to center yourself, relax your breathing, try to empty your mind as much as possible and be calm. The Western one is, you know, and as, 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 as somebody, as somebody that's Catholic, you understand this is the rosary, right? You're supposed to sit there and pray over the beads and you're supposed to say the prayers over and over again and reflect on their meaning. I can't remember the word, but you're, there's another way of doing this with Bible verses. When you go to any sort of Christian mass, any sort of Christian service, but we'll, we'll use the Catholic mass, you're supposed to sit and reflect on the readings as they're being read to you. And in fact, the entire mass itself is, a, is the, the entire liturgy is designed to be um, a meditative process. Again, we just don't use that word because much like, you know, much like yoga in California means something very different to somebody who's raised in India. Um, it's, it's the same kind of, Oh, well, meditation is that new agey thing that you do when you're not going to be a Catholic. It's like, no, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Now, where can I find any sort of historical evidence from this? Oh yeah. Only like one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most profound philosophers that have ever existed in the scientific age, Rene Descartes, who called his, who called his works, the med the five meditations. So, it's so that's that's kind of that's one of the reasons why I think people are selling themselves short and their meditation is also this idea of working through thoughts. It's not just mm -hmm. it, both have their both have incredible power, both have incredible benefit. And that's that's that like synergy. That's that yin yang I'm talking about. You kind of need both of them to really push yourself to um, to a new level. Yeah, so that's that's. That's exactly what I've been doing. Um, I, and here I go selling myself short again. I'm not doing it probably as deeply as I could be because I am constantly scattered and constantly busy, uh, and you know constantly procrastinating. Um, if that I'm honest, uh, but you know I've been thinking about what Vin Armani has been saying. I have been thinking about integral theory and mm -hmm. how um, the Eastern churches integrate. Um, Eastern spirituality with Western faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and then lo and behold, Jordan Peterson, who I hold in very high regard, yeah. uh, had Jonathan Pajot, an Orthodox mm -hmm. um, icon carver on his show, like the, just this past weekend. Yep. Um, so all of these, like this confluence of events. Oh, and also Vin Armani, uh, he every morning goes out to the beach and um, meditates using the Jesus prayer uh, as his sort of mantra. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a mantra that I have used um, yeah. long, long, long ago when I was, when I was still uh, practicing as a Catholic. And I think that in this sort of, well, church of woke uh, to use Ryan Long and Vin Armani's term mm -hmm. um, where these authoritarian mythical believers in this wokeness narrative are introducing a new religious system. Um, it's very important that we as non-woke people or as awakened people, uh, it's very important that we have something to combat that with. Yeah. And so for me, um, while I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not in good standing given, given my sexual orientation and my, you know, frankly, active uh, engagement in that sexual orientation, <laughs> you know, I'm not, <laughs> sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be taking communion, but, mm -hmm. 
I think that engaging in some sort of praxis that centers me spiritually is, um, it would not only be good for me, but my, my Messiah complex coming out mm-hmm. would be good for the world. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where I'm at right now. And I, we teased it at the beginning. So I wanted to bring it up, especially being that we talked so much about integral theory. Yeah. Um, and those are parallel things for me right now. Uh, I, sorry, just to pause you. I don't, view, yeah. I don't like part of, I think what just by the nature of my upbringing and the particulars of my environment I've never viewed these things as so separate. Like sure. I, you know, I've never viewed, you know, everyone uh, growing up, you would, I would always hear, and maybe your experience was different, but like, Oh, well, you know, you're Catholic. So that means you must not believe in evolution. It's like, huh? They taught me evolution. They said, they said, God did it. Isn't that like basically the same cracking <laughs> thing? Us? Yeah. Like, you know, but continue. I, no, so that's, I just, yeah. That's, that's pretty much the end of that. Uh, we, we, I wanted to, I wanted to bring it up and you're, the, you're actually the first person I vocalized that to mm-hmm. out loud. So, um, I'm meeting with, I have a, God, I have this friend, he's my best friend in the world. Um, yeah. and he has, he's, he's completely like when people talk about blue pill, um, he's blue pilled and proud of it. Like he okay. knows that he's blue pilled. He like will brag about the fact that he only gets his news from the Minneapolis Star Tribune and okay. sometimes CNN. Um, years and years ago, while he was still vice president, he told me that Joe Biden was his quote political hero. Yeah. Um, like he he is like just the 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 stereotype of of this. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, and of course, you know, I mean, he's he's bought into the COVID stuff and stuff. Although he's come around a little bit yeah. um, on COVID. He he told me he told me look if if we're still wearing masks or if they tell us to wear masks again, like next flu season, then I'll be on your side. So I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting now. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're, we're getting together this weekend because he has started a yoga practice and meditating. And um, I don't want to get too personal. He's not going to listen to this, but I don't want to get too personal, but he, mm. he and his wife have, you know, experienced some tragedy in the last couple of months. Okay. So he's really having like a crisis of, of identity and yeah. conscience and everything. Um, so we're getting together for the first time since the pandemic started mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. Uh, we're going to a park um, cause you know, outdoors and all that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he'll be the second person I've talked to about it. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm I really looking for, I'm really looking forward to exploring this too, too, though. I've never, um, I think a lot of, again maybe it was ignorance uh it probably was in many respects um growing up but i've never i never kind of um i never like i never saw the need to completely turn my back on the church on faith on uh, even when even as i started to slowly drift away from a more sure. i mean before i turned 18 i could count on my hand how many times i missed mass um, and that's on my, on my hands, maybe let's say, at least in my conscious memory, um, you know, parents divorced as practicing Catholics was obviously a thing. Um, but we still went to mass every, you know, with one parent or the other, depending on what week we were, depending on which week it was. And so I never quite, I never quite saw the need to, again, completely turn my back on that, where I think a lot of people it's okay, well, I'm cutting ties. I'm an atheist now. And that's just going to be the end of it because God is dead. Um, and I, I just, for whatever reason, I never quite got there and it was a much slower thing. And in that, and during that time, I also found philosophy, which 
is um, in that book, I was talking about leisure as the basis of culture, which I've read many years later, but he taught, he, he talks about philosophy as the counter melody. So, you know, you talked about Jordan Peterson being a, being a postmodernist. And I think that's exactly, I think in a way that's exactly right, because given the age we live in, you can't really escape postmodernism. And given yeah. the fact that we grow up yeah. in the West, I'm, in a, I'm not in a general sense, we can't escape. This is what he was making the point. We can't really escape Christianity as being, you know, as have growing up in the West of being European descent, because even this, and you see this in the woke religion as well because they, they have co-opted a lot of the elements of Christianity and the worst elements of Christianity uh, to boot. But he, so what he talks about as philosophy as it's serving is the counter melody. So the melody is, is kind of like the religion and then philosophy is this counter melody that is its own thing and yet still fits inside of it. And I, I, found, that, I found that particular saying to be beautiful. And in fact, kind of was probably where I, I made that transition of, okay, well, I'm just going to like read more Plato now, you know, it's as a Catholic, it's not like you were reading the Bible. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and in, in the church's defense, um, you know, if you go through the, if you go to mass every day, or at least do the readings every day for three years, mm -hmm. then you will have read almost the entire Bible. Of course. Yeah. Uh, whereas, I, I, whereas I, I, in I a product, if you go to a Protestant, like quote Bible church, yeah. you know, you're, you'll hear whatever the preacher wants you to hear, Good which uh, that is a, that's, that's one of the things that I find beautiful about the Catholic liturgy. Um, mm -hmm. Although, you know, that's the Novus Ordo, which uh, the, the post Vatican II liturgy, um, well, I don't want to get into it. It's yeah, that, that we can we can save that for another conversation. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't even know if I want to do that. To be it's, <laughs> well, it I'm doesn't not, have to be recorded. Um, I'm just not I'm just not passionate about it anymore. I used yeah, to. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, but no, it's interesting that you say that though, because because uh, the other the and the other part is I was never raised in that. So like when I moved to Miami, which I did when I was 18 years old to go to school down there originally, um, and that's where my mom grew up. I was kind of confronted with the church of Latin America, which is a far more insular church versus uh -huh. this very, you know, very, uh, I wouldn't say very traditionalist in many respects with the monastic community that I was, that I was kind of raised with because even my parish church was run by a monk from the same monastic community that I eventually went to high school with. Oh, um, fun. yeah. And um, well, he and he was to his credit, he was the one who told me that it's not a mortal sin if you uh, if you come up for air every two minutes, when it, as it related to uh, as it related to things of car in the carnal nature, um, it, was, <laughs> it was it was it was great. He was he was that kind of dude. Uh, rest to God rest his soul. Um, but my point, the point I'm trying to draw here is, it was never. I wasn't raised in that very restrictive mentality that a lot of Christians have and a lot of Catholics have that kind of like says, okay, well, you can't do this. You can't explore this. It was instead, it was very, it was like, okay, no, here, like here, you want to learn about Islam? Here are the tenets of Islam. We're going to talk about that for a couple of weeks. And if you want to talk about, you want to talk about sex? Okay, let's talk about sex. This is what the Bible says. And, you know, this is depending on what teacher you had at the school, of course, but, mm -hmm. you know, this is what the Bible says. This is what the catechism says, but you know what, at the end of the day, you may as well wear a condom. Like, so like, it, <laughs> and this yeah. was, it was, it, so like, that was also the milieu that I had um, as far as like, as far as an example. And of course, if you look at the church and the history of the church, there is, there has always been 
despite narratives to the contrary, room for dissent. And there's always been room, at least a little bit, for people to toe the line and to, you know, as I would say, walk the path of the philosopher. Mm -hmm. Well, and very importantly, there is room for atonement, unlike, mm -hmm. yes. unlike the, the, you know, post-God is dead uh, era, I guess. So... <laughs> All right, my man. Well, James, we just hit, we've basically hit the two hour mark, which is fantastic. So I think uh, it's that's that's habitual. I was on the I was on the actual Anarchy podcast, the movie review guys. Okay, we we went for four fucking hours. I was <laughs> I was I was drinking whiskey the entire time, so it just gets progressively worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that really does bad. sound like fun though. I will say it was a blast. It was really fun. Yeah. All right, great. Well, let's, cool. um, do you want to just say one more time where people can come find you? Of course, we're going to link to it and then, uh, and then we'll stop recording. Yeah. Okay. So follow my podcast, just search for Blackbird with James Gentleman, um, on any of your favorite podcast app. Uh, yeah, I, th I think you still have to put my name cause I'm not like the top There's a few podcasts called Blackbird. Um, I forgot to check that when I was looking for domains. <laughs> uh, so um, just look for that, uh, blackbird.substack.com. If you just want to do it the easy way, um, that'll send you a link. If you sign up for the email, it'll send you a link to um, automatically do it from your podcast app. So that's even easier. Um, and then follow me on Twitter at James L J. Uh, and that's that. And I'll send you, I'll send you links too. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you, uh, since I'm, I'm going to, you're definitely going to get the audio for this, feel free to Feel free to publish it after I do. Um, you can cool, find we'll me. Uh, easiest way to go is go to binawake.com, B-E-E-N-A-W-A-K-E.com and give me your email address. You can also go to follow.binawake.com. If you're lazy and you just want to look for me on Twitter, please do because I'm having some fun there. Uh, you can follow me at Muniz on every single social platform. That's M-U-N-I-Z for all you gringos out there. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, James. This has been an absolute uh, pleasure and I think we really got somewhere, which is cool. So this is, uh, this is kind of exactly what I hope, you know, what I always hope these interviews become. So great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been a blast. Thanks so much. It was good to, it was good to finally like talk to you in person. Absolutely. Or, yeah. As in person as it gets right now. <laughs> For sure. Awesome. I'll see you later. Alrighty. like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.